So we're going to be in Luke chapter 20, starting at verse 20. And we're going to open with prayer for this. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to show us what you would want us to learn from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Luke chapter 20, starting at verse 20. And they watched him and sent forth spies, which would feign themselves just, just men, that they might take hold of his words, so they might deliver him into the power of the authority of the governor. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that you speak and teach rightly, neither accept you the person of any, but teach the way of the Lord of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, why tempt you me? Show me a, a penny whose image and sub superscription has, has it. And they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. And they could not take hold, take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and held their peace. We're going to stop there because here we see a trap being sent for Jesus. And I think oftentimes... You know, if you do any witnessing, any talking, you oftentimes will find people they are trying to set a trap for you. What is it that you believe? <laughs> what is it that you're going to say that they can get hold of and say, well, you don't live it, you don't act like this. Uh, well, you Christians, you're all the same. You know, they're always looking for something. And here, it's, they're, they're setting a trap. And you go, well, who are the they? Well, on the previous part of this, we had the high priest and the scribes have been giving Jesus a hard time, so they are, the, they are the they being referred to. So the high priest and the scribes are working on trying to get this, and it says they sent forth spies. Now, it's interesting that this word for spies is kind of like what we think, but it's somebody who's been paid to go find somebody, what so somebody is saying, so they can entrap them. So it's a little more than just being a spy stealing, stealing national secrets. They're going out there purposely to try to trip him up and, and get him to say things. And, you know, been there, done that, had people purposely try to get you to say something that they can use against you. It's very much the way the world thinks about it. They're going to tear you down. They want you to say something. Here the scribes and the Pharisees are sending somebody, people in, and they're pretending to be his followers. You know, pretending to be his followers when they're not his followers. And this is something we need to be aware of because there are oftentimes that can people that come into churches, into Bible studies, into groups that you have out there that are coming in just to find out what's going on. How can we upset the apple cart? What can we do to make people not very happy? What are they saying that we can use against them? And in our world, we have it going on all the time. We have the homosexual agenda, the transgender ag agenda, all these things going on. And people will come in and listen to what's going on in churches so that they can then take what we teach about the Bible and use it against us. All right. And we need to be ready to say, I'm going to stand with God no matter what. And this is very important. Jesus is going to stand with God, but he's still going to be very careful about what he says. When I'm at the prison, I have to be careful about what I say because it's full of homosexual workers. Not the, not the inmates, but the workers themselves. <laughs> All right. So I have to be careful what I say. If they ask me directly, they're going to get what I believe very gently, but they're going to get what I believe. And my answer is always the same. God calls it a sin. That's what I told everybody, and I've always told them that. God calls it a sin. It's between you and God what you're going to, what you're going to do about it. Because our job is not to judge, judge people. Our job is just to say this is what God says. 
right? When I find somebody who's in committing fornication, I just say, you're, in a forn- you're committing fornication, God calls it a sin. My job isn't to try to make somebody feel bad or good about it or, or guilty about it. My job is just to say, this is what God says. And that's what we do as Christians. This is what God says about this, all right? Not that you're, you're going to hell because of it. They are going to hell, but I'm going to tell them they're going to hell for sin, not for any, any one sin that they're going to do. But, you know, we need to be able to understand our job is to be loving and not condemn. When they stand before God at the white throne judgment, they will be condemned if they haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior at that point. My job is to just tell them God calls it a sin. And then I can go into the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life and all the other verses that we go into salvation salvation scriptures but these guys are coming in they're pretending to be his followers and you're going and a lot of people will go well what's so hard about that there were only 12 of them no there were hundreds of them jesus had crowds everywhere he went he had the 12 that he called as his disciples and they went everywhere with him and then there were all the rest of the people that followed him if you read carefully you'll see that he had all kinds of people around him in the upper room there's 120 people that were his disciples so there are people all the time so there were many people that would come in and oftentimes the scribes and pharisees will pretend to be a follower and this is something that is very interesting because people will oftentimes pretend to follow god sometimes doing it for good reasons sometimes not for good reasons I remember a time I shared this with you. We were interviewing a deacon candidate and we asked his wife, when did you, when did you become a Christian? And her answer was, I've always been a Christian. So we figured she didn't understand the question. So I asked her, well, when did you finally realize that you were a sinner in need of, need of a savior? She goes, well, I've always been a good person. You know, and it was very sad because if you'd have looked at her, you would have said, this is a person who's an ideal Christian. She's in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. She's with the women's group. She's with all these people. But her answers kept telling us that she did not know God. The scribes and Pharisees oftentimes didn't know God. They had activities. They looked good. They kept all the rules that they thought they were supposed to kept, uh, keep. But they didn't know God. And this is something that's very important for us as Christians. Our job is to know Jesus. We accept him into our life and we make him our Lord and Savior. He has a fellowship with us. And I love the statement that is so so often said, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It is a relationship with God. It is not me saying, "Here's here's your 20 rules, follow these rules and you'll go to heaven. If it was that simple, we'd all be in trouble because none of us could keep the 20 rules. Now, none of us can keep the Ten Commandments. You know, and the Jews say there's 613 laws. And we can't keep the Ten Commandments. I'd hate to try to read the other, the other 603 and find that we can't keep all of those rules either. And all those rules were there was to teach us that we couldn't earn our way to heaven. It takes the sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus is meeting these guys. And their purpose is to find something that they could uh, hear him say that they could turn him over to the governor. Why to the governor? Because they didn't have the power to... Uh, to kill somebody so they had to get him over to the governor just as they did with John the Baptist and all the other prophets before that so they were looking for something can he say something that is going to get him in trouble and they didn't care whether it was in trouble with the the high priest or the governor but in this case they were looking at the governor they want him out of the picture it's kind of interesting the more the world gets evil dark in in this world the the more they hate us as Christians when we bring the light into their life. 
Now, it doesn't matter who you are. If you have a standard with God, and God is in you, and I've said this several times, have you ever just walked into a room and had people get mad at you and you haven't said a word? Why is that? Because you're bringing the very presence of God into their evil, evil, and they sense it, and they don't know what it is they're sensing. All they know is they don't like what they're, what they're feeling in that, in, that, in that place, and I've had it happen several times. Now, people know I'm a Christian as well, so they're probably adding to the problem, but I've seen people who just walk in and people are giving them a dirty look and you know, all this stuff. You haven't said a word. The Holy Spirit is convicting, which is a good thing, except you're the target of, the, of the, all, their, all their dislike because they think it's you somehow. And Jesus is here. They're looking for a, what can we get him to say that's going to get him in trouble? And I, the next thing they do is they flatter him. You know, they, they tell him, Master, we know that what you say, you say rightly, neither accept you, the, uh, the person, but you teach the way of God truly. So they're going, hey, we know, that you te- we know that you teach right. Now, as far as they're concerned, he is not teaching right. He's, he's violating all the traditions of man. Because we've, we've talked about this. The Jewish people have this problem. God gives them one rule, and then they add a whole bunch of rules around that rule. All right. When when God said you, you shall honor the Sabbath day and not work, and then they put a whole bunch of rules around that rule trying to define what work was. Now, and I understand that. You know, what is work? Yeah, I don't know what work is myself sometimes because I'm a workaholic, so I like to work and it's fun for me to work. And God says I need to stop and and just settle down once in a while. And they tried to define work: how much could you lift, how far could you walk, what could you carry, what could you not do, what you know. And so they had all kinds of rules, and Jesus purposely, I think, many times violated their rules. How many times did he heal somebody on the Sabbath day? And they would keep going, there's six days when you can do healing, don't do it on the Sabbath day. What a sad way to be, so legalistic that you don't want to see the works of God being done. And in our day and age, we're being told, well, you guys can do whatever you want in your church and at home, but don't ever dare bring it out to the workplace. Don't dare bring it out into your, to your life. You know, it's going to keep getting worse, you know, already. The more you want to bring God out, the more they're going to rebel because that's how evil our world is getting. They don't like to hear truth. They don't like to even think about God. It's an amazing thing when you talk to people that they don't like anything to do with God and will try to come out at you. So these guys are saying, what can we do? First, they flatter him. You know, we're all on your side, you know, Jesus. Tell us whatever you want us to know, and we're, we're on your side. Well, we'll, we want what you want. And then they ask him the question that they wanted to ask. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar? Now, we read this in English, and we don't really think of it as that big a deal, but, you know, this word for tribute isn't just tax. We think of it as tax, but it, it's more than that. It is not a tariff that for doing business on transporting through the ports. You know, every country has tariffs on their, on, their, on their goods coming in and out. It's not the word for the temple tax, where you help support tax the temple. This word for tri- tribute was tax on the land. Now, the thing about us here in America, we pay tax on the lands all the time. You don't own anything. You, you, you have to pay tax on your car or your house, and if you don't, the government takes it away from you. Well, true in the Romans' day. However, for the Jews, the land was theirs. 
In the Old Testament, God said the land is yours. He divided the lands between the families. And you couldn't even truly sell your land because every 50 years there was the year of Jubilee and you got all your land back. So you really couldn't even sell your land, you know, you couldn't sell your land, you know, long term. You could, you know, you could sell it for a short period of time because it was going to come back to you. You didn't lose your land because God had given them the land. So from their perspective, Jesus is going to be wrong no matter what he says. If he says, yes, pay it, he's violating the Jewish rules of taxing the land. If he says, uh, don't pay it, they're going to have what they wanted. They can take him, they can take him up, to see, uh, up to the governor and say, hey, he's, he's causing dissension. He's telling people not to pay their taxes. Go beyond this also is that he has been claiming all through this section to be the Messiah. The Messiah is to be the king of the Jews. So this way, also, if he says, yes, give it, give it to Caesar, he's claiming that I'm not, God, I'm not the king, I don't deserve the, the tribute. And if he claims it, then he's now in uh, opposition to Caesar. They think they've got him. He can't, he can't answer this question in any valid way and get out of it as far as they think. Have you ever been asked questions from people that it doesn't seem like there's a way out of that question that makes any sense without causing problems I love that the Holy Spirit indwells us and he will tell us how to answer questions if we will allow him to work through us there have been times when I've talked to people and I'm going man I don't know who this is talking because it's not me because these these words are too good they're they're going to get through they're getting through the Holy Spirit can speak through us in this particular case they've got him set up they go we've got him he's either going to upset Rome or he's going to upset the Jewish people the people think he's Messiah, and if he's saying give taxes to, to Rome, then he's claiming he's not Messiah. If he says claim, give taxes to them, then he's telling them that they don't own the land, and the government has the right to do what they want. So they think they've got him. This happens a lot. You know, when you're witnessing to somebody, they've got all these I got you questions that they want to ask you. You know, or, I really got you. You can't get out of this one. And, you know, we want to be careful with those. Don't make up answers when you're in that situation. All right. And I've told you the best thing to do in those situations is a really great thing because I know when I've talked to people over the years, the one thing they keep telling me is I'm afraid to witness because they might ask me something that I don't know the answer to. And you all know, because I've said this before, that is a wonderful thing if they ask you something you don't know because your answer is real simple. I don't know that answer. Let me go find that answer and let, let us talk again tomorrow or next week or whenever, you, whenever it's convenient. You go find their answer and then you hope they ask you another question they don't know or accept Jesus, one or the other. You know, does that take away the fear of being asked a question that you don't know? You know? Because it is a great opportunity to turn it around on them. The other thing I've told you, you know, people will say things like, well, you know, there's lots of contradictions in the Bible. Here's a real simple answer. Tell me one. Well, there's lots of, no, 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 I can't deal with lots. Tell me one and we'll deal with one. They're not going to have a contradiction in the Bible. They, they'll give you like five ideas that they think are contradictions. And if they do, say, I don't know the answer to that. Let me go find it. Come to me and I'll tell you the right answer to tell them back because I know the, I know the four or five that they're going to tell you. And they're all easily answered. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, don't be afraid of those types of questions. If they ask you things you don't know, it's a perfect opportunity to come back and talk to them. Or if you want to and they're, and they're willing to, bring them to talk to somebody that knows more than you do. 
they're already listening to you, so you can make another appointment. Just say, I got to go find that, you know, I got to go find that answer. Gets rid of the, the problem of this. Jesus is in a place, he doesn't have to go, I've got to find an answer. <laughs> he tells them, show me, it's defined as a penny in here, but it's actually a denarii, it's a, the full day's wage. He says, show me the, the, day, the coin that we're going to use for a day's wage. And he goes, whose image, and it says superscription on here, but whose title is on it? Right? Whose image and whose title is on it? Can you imagine? This is just a simple answer. He goes, show me the coin. Who, whose coin is it in the first place? It's Caesar's. And then his answer is so simple. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and unto God what is God's. Now, if they had held up a temple shekel, then they would have said, give this. And he goes, well, that goes to God. Now, depending on what they showed him, they could have, he should have told them what to do with the particular one that they're giving him. In this case, he knows they're going to show him a Roman coin because that's what they're asking about. But you know, one of the things for us when we're talking to people, keep things simple with people. Don't try to outsmart somebody. If you have an answer, give it to them. But don't try to outthink somebody and outdo somebody because number one, they might be smart. Uh, just might be. I've, I've got a cousin who is a doctorate and, and very famous in the physics world and you know, we talk to him about God and he tries to talk about these really esoteric things because he's written on all kinds of things. He, he led the team that discovered the quarks and everything, broke the atom and, you know, uh, very smart guy. And he likes to talk about these really crazy things. And we try to bring him back down to, to earth, <laughs> even though we can kind of talk to him in his world, but not fully. He, he knows that world better than anybody in the family. But we keep things simple with people. Don't sit there and try to argue with people because, number one, you can't argue with them into a relationship with Jesus in the first place. Answer their questions. Let them know that what we are are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus died on the cross for our, for our sins. Simplicity. The message of God is so simple to get saved. Now, once you're saved, you can study the salvation, just the topic of salvation for the rest of your life. And it, it is very, for something so simple, it is also very complex. But, you know, our job is just to keep it simple with people. Keep your testimony simple. You know, every, every evangelism class I've ever gone to says, write out, your, write out your testimony. Get it to where you can say it in just a minute or two. What do you tell people when they ask you, why, why how did you get saved? Or what, what does it mean to be saved? It should be something simple. You know, I'm not going to say you have to know the exact day and month and year and all that. I, I know the year because I know what, how old I was when I got saved, but I don't remember the date at all. I remember it was in 1971 when I was 10 years old that I got saved. And I know God did a great change in my life. But if you talk about your testimony with people, there's nothing that they can do to argue you out of what you believe because it happened to you. you know, don't sit there and try to use somebody else's testimony don't try to tell them if you don't have a testimony go find go find what your testimony is start looking at it because God is should be what's important to you when I got saved it was a wonderful thing because I fell in love with God's word I fell in love with going to church I fell in love with God I didn't know a whole lot I I've shared with you my my first week of being saved I told all my friends I needed to be saved they go how do you do it I go I don't really know come to church with me that was my whole testimony the first week 
I don't know what I did. All I said was this prayer. I was, I'm a sinner, and I said this prayer. You know, let's come to church. They'll tell you about it. And the Sunday school bus pulled up, and there were like eight people there waiting to get on at my stop. You know, they all decided they wanted to come. I don't remember if any of them got saved, but they all came and at least heard. Keep it simple. Jesus' answer was very simple. He didn't sit there and argue with them. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't really understand God's word. He goes, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God. Now, when we go into this, rendering to God is a whole other story because everything belongs to him outside of what's made in this world. Our worship, our love, our care, our affections, our attention, all belong to him. Matter of fact, the money belongs to him, even though Jesus is making this point at this point in time. Uh, you know, everything is his. But in this case, he's saying, well, if it's going to be taxes and Caesar wants his money back, give it back to him. You know, and nice, simple answer. And this is something they were amazed that they could not take his words and use them against him. They thought they had him in a corner. And we see this all through the Gospels. Every time they come to him, they're trying to say, we've got this question and we, you're not going to get out of this question because it is, you know, you're going to make somebody mad no matter what you say. Now, the unfortunate thing, sometimes it will make somebody mad when we hold on to the truth. Most of us are not going to have the right answer like Jesus did all the time. We're going to be asked several questions. I remember one time I was running a store and my assistant manager asked me what I thought about lesbianism. And she was a lesbian. And she didn't know that I knew that. And I just told her, well, God calls homosexuality a sin. Actually, I made it more. I go, do you want my professional opinion or personal per opinion? <laughs> you know, uh, she asked for my personal opinion first. <laughs> I go, God calls it a sin. You have to answer, you have to, answer to God. You know, and just that simple. Not to be offensive, not to attack it. But, you know, how do you respond to those types of questions? When you find somebody who is doing things wrong, do you go after and attack them? Or are you loving and kind in the way that you deal with them? And it is very different. You can say very hard things in a very loving way if you practice. And this is what we need to do. Jesus was very loving toward them, saying, this is the answer. And they could not get hold of him they could not get the people to be mad at him they could not give it could not have something to go to the governor with and say hey he's telling people not to pay taxes which is what they expected him to say they were going to expect him to say don't pay taxes he's claiming to be the messiah and it's a jewish law that they don't pay taxes but they're in rome the roman roman empire so in rome you had to pay taxes so this very interesting answer that jesus gives is render to god I'll render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So the question I have for us is, are we rendering to God what belongs to him? I don't even want to deal with the Caesar side of this because we, we pay our taxes, hopefully, and right now we're in tax season you know, for all of us who have to file those, file those forms and, and may or may not have to pay taxes. I, I, write, I write a check every quarter to the government so that they can not have to pay taxes by the end of the year, but, uh, you know, I don't know if you realize, pastors are self-employed, so we have to pay taxes <laughs> ourselves. But every, mo every quarter, I write my, write my checks to the, che to, to the federal government and the, and the state because that's what they want. Whether I like it or not, it's another story. That, but that's <laughs> you know, it's what they want. <laughs> but do we also render to God 
What is it that God is asking us to do? First and foremost is to give him our life. To surrender to him as Lord. Now, the idea of Lord being the Lord and master in America is hard for us. We, we are self-reliant people in America. Nobody tells us what to do. Nobody, nobody is going to control me. Uh, you know, I'm self-reliant. You know, I don't like my government. I vote them out of office. I don't have to do things the way they want very long. The only thing about that is that's not what God asks. He says, I want to be your Lord. And what's a Lord? That's the person that can tell you what you're going to do. Do we really, when we're reading the Bible, do we really look at it and say, God, what is it you're telling me to do? What are you telling me to do? We need to be able to get to that place where we're going to serve God when he gives those commands. Now, when we say that, we've got to also remember God loves us, which means he's not going to do, tell us to do things that are going to be harmful and, and really irritating. We may not like everything he tells us to do, but he's not looking to harm us because he says that he loves us. He is not going to go, you know, go, go scrub out the, the, the darkest septic system that you can find because I'm going to punish you. Now, uh, he says, I'm going to send you to talk to people. Now, sometimes we get to be sent to people we don't want to talk to. <laughs> you know, uh, God says, I want to talk to that person way over there. Uh, God, not that person, God. They don't look like anybody I want to talk to. God says, go talk to him. I don't know about you, but when you start listening to God, those conversations that God says, go talk to that person that you don't want to talk to are usually the best conversations that you can have because you're being obedient. And God has prepared their heart and they're ready to hear the word. So I want to challenge us as we go forward, render unto God what is his. Which is very much your own, everything about you and me. We need to render ourselves to him to be obedient to what he wants us to do. And be able to look to him and say, God, I want to serve you. I want to be your servant. When you read testament the favorite description of paul and even peter the bond slave of christ the willing servant of christ tell me what you want me to do now i hope that god is never going to ask me to be paul where i get beaten and chased out of every place i go and thrown into prison and all the other things that happened to paul but you know what we're coming to a very dark time in our life in our in our country and in the world i think we're at the end days we may very well be called at some point to suffer for Christ. And if that happens, we need to take the attitude that the disciples did all through the book of Acts. I love the statement when they got when they suffered, what was their answer? I thank God I was found worthy to suffer. Now, would that be our attitude right now? Don't answer or raise your hand, but <laughs> I hope that it would be. I hope that it would be my attitude if I if and when I'm called to suffer. That is my hope and my desire. Now, will it be? I don't know. But I think because I know his word and I believe in Romans 8, 28, it probably will be my answer. Thank God I've been worthy to suffer. But I'm challenging us and everybody who listens online for the same thing. Are you ready to suffer? Are you ready to understand that Romans 8, 28 is still true when you're suffering? Are you ready to believe that your God has found you worthy and strong enough to suffer for him? But as with anything else, we need to plan it ahead of time, not when we're in the middle of the problem. 
When you're in the middle of the problem, that's not the time to decide, well, am I going to serve God or not at this point? You have to have decided, I'm going to serve God before that. If you can't serve God in the easy times, you won't serve God in the hard times. And I've heard people go, well, you know what? I'm playing the lottery. If I win the lottery, I'll, I'll give a tithe to the church. And I'm going, are you tithing now? Nope. I go, then you won't tithe when you win, if you win the lottery. Just a simple thing. You're not doing it now. You're not going to do it in the future. You're not serving now. You're not going to serve when times get tough. You, you're not reading your Bible now when it's easy to have a Bible. You won't when it's hard to find a Bible. You know, we need to get ourselves prepared for the hard times by doing what we know we're supposed to do. And I know the people in this room, because I know almost everybody here is, is saying that they're saved. If you're not saved, today is the day to make, it, make that decision. Say, God, I am a sinner, and I, I believe Jesus died for my sins. Come into my life, and I'll make you Lord. But for us as Christians, we need to be asking God, God, help me to serve you more and more with each passing day. Making decisions. And that doesn't mean you're going to have to be in church every time the doors are open. You don't have to do all this stuff. But you need to be listening to his voice and saying, God, what am I doing today? Who am I reaching out to today? How am I going to be a minister for you today? I am a firm believer that every day has divine appointments for you to be fulfilling if you're looking for them. Now, now I've told you all, I'm pretty slow. The many times I realize I had a divine appointment about a half hour after I pass, pass it up. I'm pretty slow sometimes. But you know, also times when I'm looking for it and I go, oh, I've got to do this. We need to be looking for it. And I've shared with you, open your day and say, God, keep my eyes open for the opportunities to reach out for you. Who is it that you've got in my path to, today? And be ready to respond. I love it at the prison when, when it opens up and I'm just talking with people and things turn to God. Usually they get this started and once they started, then I open up. <laughs> Yeah. Once the doors open, I will take full advantage of that, especially in the workplace, because I'm not paid to evangelize. I'm paid to, paid to supervise teachers and, and teach. But if they open it up, I'll, I'll talk to them. That was the only thing good about being a chaplain is I could talk about God freely and initiate it. But being an instructor, I can't, I can't open it up. I have to just take advantage of it when it opens. But outside of that, I love to talk about God. I love to talk about God all the time. My favorite topic. I used to be a football fanatic. I used to talk about football all the time. And now I don't even care about football. I talk about God. Mm -hmm. now, uh, but we need to be able to understand what it is that we're looking at. Who are you going to serve? How are you going to serve? Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we get ready to go. Lord, if there's anybody listening that doesn't know you, that we ask today that they will turn their heart over to you. They will recognize that, Lord, I am a sinner. I cannot keep your words and your laws. I accept Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and come into my heart and save me. And Lord, for each of us that are, we just ask you to give us the unction and the power and the desire to seek after you and to serve you in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.